Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here this morning. And uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, if we haven't had uh, the chance to meet. And I'm really excited about this morning. I'm excited that I get the opportunity to, to share a message. I'm almost as excited as my mother-in-law was a couple weekends ago. And I know what you're thinking. Dangerous ground, Weber. Dangerous ground. <laughs> Talking about your mother-in-law. But don't worry, it's all good. Cindy is the best. I really lucked out when it came to mother-in-laws, mothers-in-law. But she's great. But she was over a few weekends ago, and I came downstairs. It was a Saturday morning, and she's watching TV. And, I, I, you know, she's usually not up that early. And she's watching the coronation of His Majesty King Charles III. Now, she really gets into this, okay? The, the whole royal family, like, this is her thing, like, to each their own. And so, eventually, the kids started coming downstairs after they, they woke up, and, and we watched uh, the festivities. And as you can imagine, uh, Great Britain pulled out all the stops, right? Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Westminster Abbey, who's who among the British elite were there, not smiling whatsoever. <laughs> but this was a big deal, right? The ascension of King Charles to the throne. And in that moment, something struck me. I've never been more bored in my entire life. <laughs> like I could be doing so many other things. But hey, to each his own. Cindy loved it. She, she was in her element. She, I remember when she was watching the royal wedding. It's just her thing. Now, whether or not you, you watch the coronation, I think we all can admit that this was a significant moment in history as King Charles ascended to the throne. Now, the last several weeks, we've been looking at the events of Jesus' life after his resurrection, those post-resurrection appearances. And I, I truly am excited today because I get to speak on a topic that really doesn't get talked about that much. And, and it's, it's been a challenge, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. And you may have already guessed it, but we're going to explore the ascension of Jesus from earth into heaven after his resurrection. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. It's going to be page 847 if you're using one of the house Bibles located in the seat in front of you, or you can pull out the Grace Fishers app. Of course, we have a sermon notes section where you can follow along. And I want to say hey to all of our online folks. Thank you for joining us. Uh, put in the chat who your favorite pastor is. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> 1B in Weber. Mark chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Verse 19. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, I could have said, look at Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 51, or Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. But after those three passages, there are no other accounts of Jesus ascension in the Bible. His ascension gets very little airtime. See what I did there? I, I promised my friend no dad jokes, and I made it five minutes. I promise no more. But it's true. This does not get talked about very much. And so as I've been preparing for this message, I've been asking myself, why does this matter? Why is this a big deal? 
Why is this a big deal back then for us today and even beyond? If you think about it, throughout history, there are two events in the life of Jesus that, that, that followers of his hold in the highest regard, his incarnation and his resurrection. Now, we don't hear that word a lot, his incarnation. That's when Jesus came to earth as a man, baby in the manger, Bethlehem of Judea, born of the Virgin Mary. We celebrate that at Christmas time. It's a big deal. And then we have the resurrection where he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. And we hold these two events in the highest regard as we should because they're huge. They're a big deal. But after studying this topic, I would argue that the ascension of Jesus is also a vital and significant part of our faith. Now, part of the reason I have come to this conclusion is because Jesus spoke about it. And he spoke about it a lot, like way more than I, than I realize. And, and I won't go through all of the passages, but let me just give you a few examples. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, I will be with you only a little longer, then I will return to the one who sent me. And later on in chapter 16, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. And then there's this other passage in John, tap, John chapter 20. And it's this seemingly odd interaction between the resurrected Jesus and Mary Magdalene at, at the tomb. Now, Mary was one of Jesus' devoted followers, and in this instance, Jesus had just risen from the grave. They're still there in the garden. They're near the tomb, and Mary mistakes Jesus' identity for the gardener. And here's what happens in verse 16. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said. For I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended. There's something going on here. Okay, there, there's something significant that's taking place. Jesus' ascension mattered to him and I don't think it's a stretch to say that it should matter to us as well. Now, I like to think of myself as a pretty simple guy. I like to keep things simple. And that's what we're going to do here this morning to help us remember the significance of Jesus' ascension. I want to break it down into three words. Okay? And the first word is position. Okay? Position. Now, the word ascend means to go upward, to rise to a higher point. But as the ascended Christ, it's so much more than a change in elevation for Jesus. You see, just as a king ascends to the throne, all of a sudden a new relationship emerges. And with that relation, relationship come new powers and new privileges to exercise authority. And so when Jesus ascended, his elevation from earth into heaven was tracing out physically what was happening cosmically and spiritually. One of my favorite authors and pastors, Timothy Keller, in his books, in, book Encounters with Jesus, said it like this. As long as the man Jesus existed in the world of space and time, he could only be at one spot at one moment. If you wanted to hear him, relate to him, or experience him, you had to be at that place at that time. But at the ascension, 
Jesus leaves the space-time continuum and passes into the presence of the Father. And in the eternal presence of the Father, Jesus' position is described as seated. He's seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3.1, the Apostle Paul references this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The ascended Jesus has resumed his rightful place of honor, his rightful place in glory. It's the place of glory he had with the Father before the world began. And he talked about that in John chapter 17. It's the glory that he once shared. But this time, Jesus has the added glory of his victory over sin and death. And that point is key. Because this position reminds us that Jesus is resting in his finished work upon the cross. It is completed, it is finished, and it is good. And notice that his posture of rest, it parallels the same posture that God the Father had at creation. After the the heavens and the earth were made, six days of creation, on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested in his finished work. And it was good. And now Jesus rests in his finished work. He's done the work on earth that was given him to do. And now he shares in the glory of the Father. And in his rest, he has provided the complete satisfaction for the sins of the whole world once and for all. It is finished. And it is good. The second word I want to draw our attention to is power. Okay, power. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul describes this incredible power by which Jesus reigns. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. While on earth, Jesus had a phase in his ministry. But now, as the ascended Christ, a new phase of his ministry is taking place. From the throne room of heaven, he exercises his power to administer God's plan for the entire universe. And one of the ways that Jesus exercises his power is by being our advocate, by continually interceding for us. And there are so many verses in the Bible about this. I want to draw our attention to one in 1 John. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. As Katie mentioned earlier this month, we are recognizing foster awareness here in our church, foster care awareness. And so many of you are stepping up and stepping into these roles, advocating on the behalf of vulnerable children. And you're standing in a gap where no one else stands, and you're interceding for these kids. And I think there's a correlation to how Jesus has bridged the gap 
for us. He's advocating for us in our vulnerability, something that we are incapable of doing ourselves. And there's no one stronger to advocate for us than the one who's at the right hand of the Father. Now, there's a deep mystery here. There's a lot of mystery in the Bible. Jesus is forever in the presence of God. Jesus, whose spilt blood covers over a multitude of sins. And he justifies us before the, fa- before the Father. And I'd like to go back to Tim Keller and what he says. It doesn't matter who you have been or what you have done. It doesn't matter how flawed and foolish you are. When the eyes of God the Father look at you, they see the ascended Jesus. Those in Christ no longer stand condemned, but redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, who forever lives to intercede on our behalf. And the last word I want to mention is presence. The ascended Jesus is present and he is active. Now, don't mistake him for being passive, seated in the heavenly realms. Seated and resting speaks to his status, not a lack of activity. And reigning and advocating speaks to his power. But be assured, he's not sitting back with his feet kicked up, just taking it easy and watching the world unfold. No, he is active and he is present with us. And this is what he promised, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit is what he promised to those who believe. He's given us his spirit and given it as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And what's to come is an inheritance which can never perish, spoil, or fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. Now, I could reference multiple verses that articulate the truth of Christ's presence, but I want to focus on one this morning, and it's probably one that that you wouldn't guess uh, would be the verse to talk about Christ's presence, but it's Romans 8, verse 28, and here's what it says in the New International Version. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I have to be honest here. I struggle with this verse. I have struggled with this verse. I've wrestled with it. Perhaps you have too. And and that's okay because this is a place where we struggle, where where we doubt, where we where we we figure out what it means to follow Jesus. This is a safe space to do that. But the reason I struggle is I can look all across the world and I see believers in the most horrible of circumstances. And I think, how can those circumstances be redeemed for the good? However, As I wrestle with this verse, I am also trusting in the God who is faithful, the God who never fails, and the God who will do exactly what he says he's going to do. And so here's here's a few things about this verse that I just want to highlight. The first is, this text does not say that all things are good. Rather, God works all things for the good. Difficulties and trials are not to be enjoyed or good per se, but at the same time, we can find joy because their results can be good. 
The second truth is that good circumstances can actually be terrible for you. Like, if you think about it, good circumstances can be terrible for you, and, and bad circumstances can actually be good for you. Like, I think about this in, in raising my own children. Like, I could shield them and protect them from every single failure or difficulty and, and just kind of blaze the trail for them. Well, those would be good circumstances. But I think they're going to grow a lot more if they encounter failure, if they encounter hardship, if they have to start thinking for themselves and figure things out. Bad circumstances can often wake us up to our true humanity, and they can help us become more dependable upon, uh, more dependent upon God. Bad circumstances can humble us, can educate us, they can build character within, within us, and more importantly, help us look more like Christ. And so regardless of circumstances, whether good or bad, knowing that Jesus is present with us, we can trust that God the Father will work in and through all things for the good. Now, I've invited my friend, Sue Hoffman, to join us this morning. I recently had an opportunity to visit with Sue. We've sat down several times, and she's quickly becoming one of my favorites. Not that I have favorites here. But one thing I, I loved about Sue's story is that there's so much richness in it, and I'd just like to welcome her to the stage. So can we get loud, Grace Fishers? <laughs> now, Sue, you've been a part of Grace Fishers for roughly five years or so, and you shared a little bit about your journey at the very beginning of your time here. Could you share with us about that? My husband and I moved here uh, August 31st, 2018. In February of that year, he was diagnosed with a rare form of pancreatic cancer. Now, we had lived in Carmel, Indiana for 18 years, but relocated to Grand Rapids, Michigan. That was our hometown. So once he determined that he knew his life was going to end quickly, he said, let's move back to Indiana. My youngest daughter lives here. So that's what we did. So we came here started coming to Grace Church, and I don't know, it just felt so welcoming. And we had been married 54 years, and my husband had been a church attender, but he had never really committed his heart to the Lord. And so during that time of his facing his death, he realized what he had been missing, and he actually grieved that it took him so long to be able to just say, why did I wait so long to give my life to the Lord? Anyway, I think one of the first weeks right after service, Ron Stoller, who was one of our pastors at the time, got talking to us, and I don't know, they just made us feel so welcome. They started coming to visit us. Uh, my husband did all right with his cancer diagnosis up until the end of November, and at that time, when he came home into hospice, he was in hospice for nine days, he wanted to be baptized. So Ron and Kevin came to my home, and on that Monday, he was baptized. And once he got through with his baptism, he put up his hands and he said, I want to see Jesus. <laughs> oh, it was so overwhelming. And my kids were there. My oldest daughter lives in Atlanta, but is relocating here in another week. And my grandkids were there, my adult grandsons, I should say. It was just such a, I don't know, I can't even explain to you how it felt to see how he had surrendered himself. 
his memorial was on December 9th, and even though, you know, really nobody knew him that well, Ron made that memorial here for him so personable. And I you know I just can't tell you how much that has meant to our family to see my husband after all those years give his life to the Lord. Mm. And I've been praying for that for so many years. It was just like, I know we always think we should be able to say, I want it now, but we all know that doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I remember you telling me about that and appreciate you sharing that part of your story and um, the joy that, that your husband had. That, that mm. just really stood out to me and your perseverance in, in praying. But another thing that, that stood out to me, again, was how you were embraced by this community, how you found community, and, and even after your husband's passing, how you became involved and, and how yeah. you continued in this community despite having undergone some bad circumstances. So could you share just a little bit about that? Yes, probably the week or so after Ron had passed, after hearing some of the music that was being, you know, worshiping at that time, I got really emotional and a couple came from behind. It was actually Louise Kinney and she came down and consoled me. Well, then the next week she came again and she invited me to be part of a group called Epilogue. They're believers that are from different churches but we meet twice a month and we discuss either a book or a podcast. So that was sort of the beginning and then I've got, I started thinking about it. I really did a lot of things I forgot I did, you know? <laughs> I was part of Rooted and that was great. I've made some friends through that. Uh, I'm part of the ladies' Bible study. I do first impressions. I'm also providing a meal a month for a foster family. Um, I also do grief card ministry for the church, along with Anne-Marie Venna. Uh, we bless people who have lost somebody they love by sending them an initial card and then follow-up cards four times a year just to let them know that we're still praying for them. And um, in my own life, I'm secretary of our homeowners association. So, And I have a 27-year-old grandson that likes me so much he lives with me. Hey. <laughs> the rent is cheap. <laughs> Well, and you're a very likable person. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, and it's so nice to have my youngest daughter living here. She's gone through a few ups and downs recently, and so we've really bonded closer, and she really misses her dad. Actually, my oldest daughter and her dad always got along well, but she always felt like it wasn't quite the same as with her sister. So those nine days when he was transitioning to his death, oh, that was such a wonderful thing to experience the love she showed him. I couldn't have done it without her. Mm. I really couldn't have. Hmm. And you also, uh, many of you don't know, but she sits at our front desk. Oh, um, for preschool? During, during the day, during preschool, and that's actually how we've, we've gotten to know each other. We've sat down a handful right. of times, and I've gotten to know your story. And, and you shared a phrase with me, uh, just kind of concerning ministry and serving, and I wonder if you could share that and just expound upon that. Well, I just believe that you've got a bloom where you're planted. Obviously, I'm a pretty social person, and I am so excited that I can be friends with people of all different ages. I've got some young men who always give me a hug every week, <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> and, you know, it's just a blessing, really, because I have felt so loved, and I know that, you know, you, you get back what you give. Sue, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. Can we just give her a round of applause? Thank her. Thank you.
I love that phrase that, that Sue mentioned, that, that we bloom where we're planted, that regardless of our circumstances, we sometimes just trust and rely upon God to do what he says he's going to do, and we trust him no matter our circumstances in the good and in the bad. And we can trust that he's growing his kingdom and he will continue to do so. Before we wrap up, I want to look at one more place in the Bible. And you're welcome to turn there if you want. It's Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 7, we catch a glimpse of the ascended Jesus, present and active. One of Jesus' followers, a man named Stephen, was brought before the teachers of the law. And Stephen had been proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and, and these religious leaders were trying to silence him. They didn't like what he had to say. So eventually, they brought him in, they seized him, and they're interrogating him. And Stephen simply proclaims the truth that he knows. And in the midst of that, the religious leaders lose their minds. I mean, they just lose it. Now, these verses won't be on the screen. I invite you just to really take in the images, take in this scene as you hear, as you hear these words from Acts chapter 7. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. I could say a lot about this passage. There are so many parallels to Jesus' own words at his own death upon the cross. But you know what jumps off the page to me? Did you catch it? Jesus is standing. He's no longer seated at the right hand of the Father. He's standing at God's right hand. All other references in the Bible have the ascended Jesus seated. But here he's standing. Why? Now, I love this image. The more I've, I've dug into this story, I just, I love this image. And, and I looked at a lot of different commentaries and, and different scholars. And while we can't know the exact specifics of why, there is consensus from what I've read, and many scholars, along with myself, believe that Jesus is standing ready to receive Stephen, his faithful servant, and he's sustaining him with his presence until the very end. And in my finite mind, I just imagine this scene playing out, and I imagine Jesus standing up as those stones are hurled at Stephen. I imagine Jesus standing up saying, you got this. Man, you got this because I got you. What can man do to you? I am with you. I am present with you. So you got this. I know you're facing trials of many kinds in this world, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. You get to count yourself worthy of suffering for my name. So, Stephen, you got this. You got this. You're almost there. You're fighting the good fight. You're finishing the race. You got this. You got this. Well done. Well done. Good and the faithful servant. Come, enter my rest. Receive your inheritance. I'm so proud of you. This is Jesus. And he is present with us even until death's end. One day, King Charles III will no longer reign. He will be replaced because kings and queens come and go. Rulers are deposed, they die of old age, they they leave office, they come and go, and another one will replace them, but not Jesus. Jesus is resurrected, and he is ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he will never be removed from his position in glory, and he will never relinquish his power over the entire Universe, and he will never cease to be present with those who love him and call him Lord and Savior. And just as he went, so he will come again on the clouds where we will receive him and be with him for all eternity. And until then, we don't cling to Jesus the way that Mary attempted, we cling to him as the ascended Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and where you sit. We thank you, Lord, for being present with us. We thank you for all of the promises in your word, promises that that we see fulfilled on a daily basis. And Lord God, we recognize your power. I, I think to a song I used to sing growing up, he's got the whole world in his hands. God, you are involved, you are active, and we thank you for always being with us, never leaving or abandoning us. And we praise you in all your glory in heaven. Amen. Before we spend some time in response, I want to pose a question. How does the truth of Jesus' ascension overflow into our lives? How does the truth of of Jesus' ascension move from our heads into our hearts and overflow into our lives? Now, I believe that the answer to this question plays out throughout our journey with Jesus. We continue to answer this question as, as our lives develop as faithful followers of him. But let me offer a starting point today. Let me offer a starting point to answer this question. Jesus' heavenly position informs our earthly position. His position informs our status. And I think for too long, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we still see ourselves as condemned sinners overwhelmed by shame. 
And I believe it's high time that we see ourselves as the Father sees us, redeemed saints covered by the blood of Jesus. That's our identity. That's who we are. And so when we see ourselves in that position, then we're going to pray differently. We're going to pray boldly. We're going to pray confidently and with expectation. We're going to approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus has gone before us. We're going to worship differently. When we come together in these spaces, when we gather as a community, we're going to worship differently with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, leaving it all out there. Our spirit connecting to the spirit of God. We leave it all out there because Jesus left it all out there for us. And when we leave these spaces, our worship will continue and we're going to live differently. We're going to live out our worship as redeemed saints. And so our conversations, our relationships, our interactions, our thoughts, all that we are begin to look more and more like Jesus. And we'll continue answering this question as we continue growing in the grace and knowledge of the ascended Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, stand with me. And in these remaining moments, let's take this opportunity to simply worship and to behold the ascended Savior, the Son of Heaven, who is present in our midst.